one for today, but I want to speak to you about being strong and courageous. About being strong and courageous. Now, as many of you that have been with me any point in time know that I love the dictionary, and so we got to get a working definition of what the word courage means before we understand where we're going and being strong and courageous. So this is the definition of courage. It is the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, etc. without fear and bravery. The quality of a mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty. So to have courage means that you have made a decision within yourself that regardless of what you see coming towards you or what's ahead of you, that you are going to face it head on and that you are going to get through that, that you're not going to be fearful of that, that you're going to have bravery, that you will have courage. Now there's a pretty consistent phrase in the Bible which is be strong and courageous. We see this in Joshua's life predominantly, but it's all throughout Scripture as well. Not only do we see uh, Moses admonishing Joshua to be strong and courageous, we eventually see Joshua admonishing the people of Israel to be strong and courageous as well. We see uh, David, King David, uh, encouraging his son Solomon as he is passing the throne to his son to be strong and courageous, to finish the task that is before you. And ultimately, Paul tells us the same thing. But I want us to look specifically at when Joshua heard the words, be strong and courageous. If you look with me, first of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 1 through 8, it says this, When Moses had finished giving these instructions to all the people of Israel, he said, I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has told me, you will not cross the Jordan River, but the Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy the nations living there, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua will lead you across the river just as the Lord promised. Now let me stop there because just to kind of set up what's going on. You have Moses who's 120 years old and his life is broken into thirds, right? His first 40 years he grew up in the palace uh, in Egypt as a son of Pharaoh. Then the second 40 years he was in the backside of a desert tending his father-in-law sheep. He was just getting away from everything of, of, his, of his first 40 years until God approached him in the middle of the desert with a burning bush in which he was called to go and deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. And then the third 40 years is that Exodus moment and is also the rest of him taking the people of Israel out of Egypt to Mount Sinai into the brink of the promised land. Well, he gets to the end of his life and he understands that he's not going to be able to step foot into that promised land, but yet Joshua would be the one that he would pass the baton to and that Joshua would be the one that would lead the Israelites into the promised land. Now, it goes on to say this in verse 5. 
or verse 4. The Lord will destroy the nations living in the land just as he destroyed Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites. The Lord will hand over to you the people who live there, and you must deal with them as I have commanded you. Here's the first time that he hears it. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Then Moses called Joshua, and as all of Israel watched, he said to him, Be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land the Lord swore to their ancestors he would give them. You are the one who will divide it among them as their grants of land. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. So you see Moses telling him privately, and then you see Moses telling him publicly to be strong and courageous. Then if you go further into Deuteronomy 31 and verse 23, this is the third time. Then the Lord commissioned Joshua, son of Nun, with these words, Be strong and courageous, for you must bring the people of Israel into the land I swore to give them. I will be with you. So now he's heard it from Moses privately. He's heard it from Moses publicly. And he's also heard it from the Lord himself. Then, if you flip over to the book of Joshua, verses one through, or chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, it says this, that after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving you. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever, you're, wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Here it is again, verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Again, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. And only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And in Joshua 1.18, it says this, Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything you command will be put to death. So be strong and courageous. Now this is seven times Joshua hears the same phrase, be strong and courageous. I don't know about you, but how many of you have got kids? How many of you have a kid that constantly repeats something over and over? And typically, 
partners it with a tug of your shirt. How many of you get kind of like annoyed with that? I, I kind of envision, now this is probably a bad analogy because I don't want to associate God with a little kid that seems as a pastor, but it's almost as if that's what Joshua should feel like because he's hearing it over and over and over again. Now, I don't know about you, but when God mentions the same phrase seven times, there's got to be a reason for it. You know, I think a lot of times what we do is when we read about uh, guys in the Bible, gals in the Bible that God used, right, that sometimes we put them on a higher pedestal than what they should be because we think that, man, Moses, I mean, we're talking about Moses. I mean, this guy, yeah, I mean, he, he did some things that weren't necessarily right, you know, a time or two. But Moses, I mean, he's next to Jesus, right? I mean, Moses, like, there's no way I could be like Moses because, I mean, that's Moses. You know, we think about David, and we think, oh, man, well, David, yeah, I mean, he had an affair at one time, but, I mean, this is David. I mean, he was a man after God's own heart. I mean, there's no way that I could attain that. Plus, he was the greatest king Israel had ever known. I just don't know if I could, if I could reach that level. Or if you read about, like, a Ruth. You're like, there's no way that I could be Ruth. Because Ruth is Ruth, right? I mean, she just... Sometimes I think what we do is we fail to realize that these people were people. That they were very much human, just like you and I are. That they struggled with the same things that you struggle with, that I struggle with. They're tempted the same way we're tempted. Guess what? They sin the same way we've sinned. What I'm trying to say is, is that I think when we think about Joshua, we think about this great, ripped up, I mean, just shredded up guy. I'm getting there. Just saying. But we, 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 we picture that full-on armor leading the Israelites into the promised land like there's no tomorrow. But I would beg with you that he's got a problem that he's got a weakness. That he's having a hard time taking the reins of leadership away from Moses because he doesn't know if he's got what it takes. That's why I believe that he's had to hear it seven times to be strong and courageous because I believe that deep down inside, God understood that he was struggling with this idea that he was now the man in charge. And he was saying to himself in a private place, God, I don't know if I want to do this. You know, we think, about, we think about Joshua, you know, if you've, if you've been in the Bible any amounts of time, and especially Moses and Joshua and all of that, you know there's this story about when Moses would go to the tent of meeting to meet with God. And then in one uh, uh, occurrence of that, we, we see that Joshua lingers in the tent of meeting. And we, and we think, yeah, because he's all about the presence of God. And I'm sure that that's part of it, but I'm also sure that there's part of it inside of him saying, oh, dear Jesus, I don't know if I can do this without you. And, and, and don't, you know, like, like I think maybe he's in there pleading because he knows what's coming. He knows that he will be the next man up if Moses dies. And I believe that there's something that he grapples with that we don't necessarily get a good picture of because it's not really written about, but I think that it is because we hear the same thing seven times. 
be strong and courageous. He heard it from Moses, who was his mentor, and he heard it from the Lord, who knew him better than anybody else. Be strong and courageous. You know, it's interesting to me that it's seven times that he hears it because the number seven is the number of perfection. And if we read what Paul writes of what Jesus told him when he was begging for the thorn in his side to be removed in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it's pretty interesting what he says. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my what? Strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's His strength. It's Jesus' strength. It's God's strength that is made perfect in your weakness. So when he was hearing the words, be strong and courageous, ultimately what God was saying is, is stop trying to find strength in your own ability. Find strength in who I am and trust me and be courageous in me. And as believers, that's a place that we have to get to. Some of us, we sell ourselves short because we, were, we don't have any problem saying, well, I'm weak in that area. Have you ever thought, because, you know, leadership is such a big topic these days. I mean, there's so many books written about it. I mean, Barnes & Noble has a whole section devoted to leadership books. And all of them tell you, you know, focus on your strengths. Leave your weakness. You know, find somebody that's strong where you're weak. And I mean, I'm not saying that those things are bad. But what I am saying is this, is that maybe, just maybe, we need to really start focusing on our weaknesses because it's there that God... Jesus says my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Because I believe that Joshua had a weakness. That there was such a need for a command. Now Joshua was a great leader. I'm not taking that away from him. He had the giftings to be a great leader and he was ultimately a great leader. But he, being a great leader, still needed the encouragement of being strong and courageous. You know, most of us, and God forgive us, are too big for God to use. Because we live in a culture and a society that fosters this which is we are too full of our own ideas and our own schemes and our own ways of doing things. But Joshua needed to take strength and courage in who God was and ultimately became small enough to be big in God. Let me just say that one one more time. Joshua needed to take strength and courage in who God was and became small enough to be big in God. You see, people often turn away from the anointing in their life to preserve their sense of control.
there, there, there's a point in life where you begin to feel God starting to move in your life, and you start moving in that direction, but then all of a sudden, the, because here's the deal. The further and further you get in a relationship with Jesus, the less and less control you're going to have. We don't ask Jesus to come into our life just to be our Savior. We ask Him into our lives to become Lord and Savior. And when we pray that prayer, that He is to be our Lord and Savior, Lord means we're handing over the reins. We're handing over the control. And now that control lies in Him. But it's when we get to the place where we become face-to-face with losing that control that for a lot of people, they turn away and they say, I'm not going there. Because they don't want to lose control. They want to preserve their sense of control. You see, Joshua had a decision that he could make. He could either heed the admonishment that he was getting to be strong and courageous in who God was calling him to be and saying, God, this is going to be about you taking control of my life and me stepping into your strength being made perfect in my weakness, to step in your courage that you have because what you say is going to go. So I need to hop on that train. I need to take a seat on that train and go in that direction and my sense of control can go out the window. That's what Joshua did. And that's where we can like say, man, what a great guy Joshua was, right? So why be strong and courageous so many times? What is really being said here? When he's saying be strong and courageous, what is he really saying here? See, because Joshua's already received grace, which is unmerited favor. I mean, he didn't, he didn't do anything spectacular to position himself to be in second in command. It, it, yeah, I mean, he was out there fighting battles on behalf of Moses. He was one of the two spies that came back and, you know, was like, hey, we can take this. But there was also Caleb. Why wasn't Caleb the second in command? So, 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 so Joshua has experienced unmerited favor. He's experienced grace. Obviously, he's experienced getting a gift, which is, which is leadership. And guess what? Those things are free. Those things are free. But let me tell you, the reason that I believe God is telling him to be strong and courageous is because there's maturity that has to take place. And maturity is going to cost you. Maturity is expensive. Grace is free. The gifts are free. But maturity will cost you. Because ultimately, God will give us everything that we need. He is giving us the tools that we need in our life. But we have a role in our development. We always will have a role in our development. I think a lot of times we think that God is just, we, well, we treat Him this way, where we're just going to sit here and wait for His plans to just unfold. And we're not going to do a thing until they do. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you just keep seated there, you're just going to keep seated there. Nothing's going to happen. I mean, Scripture in James tells us that if we want to get close to God, we've got to draw nigh to Him first. There's got to be an action step on us first. 
we, there's got to be a, 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 a role that we play in our development. Listen, you can have a perfectly planted garden. Right? You can have a perfectly planted garden. And that's what God has done. God has perfectly planted your garden with grace, with gifts, with talents. But without maintaining that garden, it will become a garden of weeds in no time at all. Just come look at my flower bed. Now, it's important that we go back, and you don't have to put the Scripture back up, but in, in Joshua, in the first part of chapter 1, when God is telling him to be strong and courageous, guess what? He not only tells him to be strong and courageous, but he gives him a tool set for maturity. He gives him a tool set to develop the garden that God's already planted inside of him. Which is, be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. He was your mentor. Take the good and the bad. Because you've observed Moses' life. He's influenced your life. He's spoken into your life. You've seen great things that I've done in and through his life. You've also seen him mess up. So you need to obey all the instructions that Moses has given to you. That's number one. Number two, don't deviate from him. So learn from them. Don't deviate from them. And then he says, study this book of instruction continually. Study the Word. Meditate on the Word day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. And then he says, only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. Only then. It's interesting that he tells him to obey, to study, don't deviate. And I think there's a, there, there, there's a lot of us. And I think we, we obey some things. We even read our word from time to time. But it's the deviate part that I think we struggle with. He says don't deviate either turning to the left or to the right. Don't deviate. You know, there, there's a passage of Scripture in 2 Kings chapter 17. I encourage you to read it in your own time. But what it is saying in that, in that chapter, I'm going to summarize it, and then I'm going to read two verses of Scripture from it. But what's happening here is that Israel has done what is evil in the Lord's sight, and so God's had enough of it. So he, he allows the Amorites to come and take them over to bring them into exile. So he, the Amorites come, take all the Israelites out of their land, throw them where they go, and guess what the Amorite king does? He says, okay, now I want some of my Amorite people to go live where Israel lived. So they start living in their land, and guess what happens? They say, we don't know how to worship their Lord. There's a temple over here, but we don't know how to worship the Lord. So the Amorite king sends a priest to those people. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 33-34, yeah, it says, And though they worshipped the Lord, 
they continue to follow their own gods according to the religious customs of the nations from which they came. And this is still going on today. They continue to follow their former practices instead of truly worshiping the Lord and obeying the decrees, regulations, instructions, and commands He gave the descendants of Jacob whose name He changed to Israel. Joshua was given the instruction not to deviate. The Israelites deviated from it and it cost them their land. The Amorites tried to move in. They tried to worship. But guess what? They deviate as well. And it says even though they worship the Lord, they continue to follow their own gods. Can I tell you that you want to know what a picture of the church looks like today? It's those two verses. Because it's people that want one foot on one side of the fence and another on the other side of the fence. Because they like the idea of Jesus. They like the idea of the Bible from time to time, but they're not in love with Him. And we have got to be a people that says enough of that. It's time that we step in to the call that was on Joshua's life because I believe that it's not just for him, but it's for you and I today that we need to be strong and we need to be courageous. We need to be strong to stand firm when the world tries to tell us that this is right when we really know that it's wrong. We cannot be a people any longer that choose to say that we worship Jesus, but oh, wait a minute, Jesus, I like you, but I don't love you, so I'm going to go over here and do my own thing from time to time. Let me tell you, the time and season of the church being that way has got to come to an end. You wonder why the churches today aren't filled up. You wonder why people question their faith that they grew up believing. It's because they don't see a difference. It's because they see that right there. They see people worshiping the Lord one day and then worshiping their own God another day. And they say, I don't even know why I want to worship that. Because if that's how it's going to be, it must not be real. And so they begin to question whether or not it's real. I'm here to tell you today, my Jesus is real. And He's real enough that I feel Him, I experience Him, I listen to Him, and I'm telling you today that we have got to be a people that boldly stand up and say enough is enough that we will worship the Lord only and that we will not be worshiping any other gods anymore. I'm not living two different lives anymore. I'm going to worship Jesus. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be courageous in who He's called me to be and what He's called me to walk in. And I don't care if that means i got to lose friends because they're not going to accept what I don't do any longer because they don't want to walk with somebody that begins to be a holy roller. I don't care if you're going to label me that way. I don't care if those things are going to be what you describe me as because my Jesus is real. And if my Jesus is real, I'm going to walk the walk. I'm going to talk the talk. And that's the way the church needs to be. Because I'm telling you, the people outside of these four walls, they are not wanting something that's fake. They want something that is real. That's God's amen right there. So what does being strong and courageous look like? What does it look like? 
as Christina comes back up, what does being strong and courageous look like? In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, there's a story of the armies of Moab, Ammon, and Edom that are coming against King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. And when Jehoshaphat gets word that these three armies are coming against them, he does the following. He begins to seek God for guidance because Jehoshaphat was one of those rare kings in those times that actually lived for Jesus or lived for God, that he feared God enough that he was going to do what was right in the sight of God. He calls for a fast, not just of himself, but for the entire nation of Judah to fast. And he also calls for corporate prayer. So as he begins to do these three things, in the midst of all that, we read this in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 13 through 17, where it says, As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. He says, take your positions and stand still. Paul encouraged the Corinthians with the same thing in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. When he said, be on guard, take your position, is what he's saying. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. That's interesting to me that God says, take your positions. But because right before that, he says, this is not even your battle to fight, it's mine. But he said, take your positions. Like I'm saying to myself, well, if you're going to fight the battle, why do we even have to worry about taking our positions? See, the reason for being strong and courageous is because, one, we got to make a decision who we're living for, which we just went through. Number two is that when we do make that decision for him, and we say we're going to live for Jesus. We're going all out for Him. Well, then we still have to take our position. This is another area that I see that the, that, that the church in general falls short in, is that they fall short in taking their position. 
See, I'm firmly believing that if the people of Judah right here don't take their position because they think, what's the use? Because God's already told us this isn't our battle, it's his, that they would have lost. If they did not take their position and stand still, they would have lost. They would have lost the battle. They don't experience victory if they don't take their position. What is their position? It, 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 it's this. If they don't harness their potential. If they don't harness their potential and fulfill their potential, they don't experience victory. Them taking their position is harnessing and fulfilling their potential. Hear me. It's harnessing and fulfilling their potential. Now I'm going to say something and you might be like kind of looking at me a little funny when I say this, but just go with me. God's not responsible for our potential. God's not responsible for our potential. We are. We are. And you're like, Pastor Matt, what are you talking about now? Well, it's kind of what I've already said. He's given us the free stuff, which is the good stuff. Let me tell you. The grace, the gifts. But guess what? That, that, that's, that's setting us up to being able to harness and fulfill our potential. But he's not going to force us to accept what he's given to us for free. We have to accept those free things, and then we have to take our position, and then we stand still. You see, God isn't looking to do this on his own. He's not looking to do this on his own. He wants to partner with you. If you say you believe in Jesus, you have no other choice than to take your position and stand still. Take your position. Joshua was getting encouraged to be strong and courageous, to stand still, to take his position. Can I tell you, when he goes into Jericho and they do the marching around the wall and Jericho comes down and it's a great victory and it's the beginning of them conquering the promised land, guess what? The next battle, they go into this small little tiny town called Ai. And they take everything for granted and they say, you know what, we can do this on our own. We don't need God for this one. And guess what? They get, it, they, they get beat really bad. If you're a boxing fan, anybody a boxing fan in here? Last night they had a heavyweight fight with uh, this guy named Deontay Wilder who's like out of Alabama. He is, he is one bad dude, let me just tell you. Like this guy, if you're even not a boxing fan, you need to go look this clip up. I mean, this guy is a bad dude. He's like a heavyweight, never lost. He's got like 40 KOs. Let me tell you what AI did to uh, Israel when they came into town. Last night, Wilder knocked the guy out in the first round. 
with a nice little right to the chin and I mean put him on the mat that's what AI did to Israel in the first round boom just knocked him out but you know what they come back Israel comes back and you know what God tells Joshua to do take your position hold out the spear and stand still if he doesn't do those things guess what AI wins again Joshua did not fight the battle, but he still took his position. He still stood still. And some of us, what we've chosen to do is we're still sitting on the sideline. AI's been defeating us left and right, knocking us out. And we're wondering over here, God, when are you ever going to come through? And he's over here going, I'm waiting on you. It's time for you to take your position and stand still. You see, check this out. God had none of us before he had none of us before we were created in the beginning was God right Genesis he was just there darkness is hovering he creates all this stuff that we see today and it's awesome right but then he gets to this point where he's like man this isn't good enough See, God's already experienced none of us before he created us. And guess what? He didn't like it. He didn't like it. That's why he created you. It's because that's when he begins to love this world is because of you. That's why he was able to give his one and only son because he loved you. He wanted to be with you. Have any of you ever prayed the prayer, God, none of me and all of you None of me and all of you. Now listen to me. I'm I'm sure the heart is right. But it's not a great prayer. Because God doesn't like that prayer. Because God, God doesn't want none of you. He wants all of you. He wants to partner with you. This is a partnership. It is not God does everything. Just poofs out of the air every now and then like a magical genie and we rub him and we get our three wishes and then we pipe him back into the pot and he goes on to somebody else. That's not who God is. He doesn't just move from one person to the next. He's all around us. Now can I tell you something? God's been in this place before we even showed up today. Now, in worship time, we got some people that, I mean, they're just going for it. Then we got some people who just stand. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. But if you're just going solely by outward appearance, you would assume that the person that's like into it, man, they, 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 obviously they feel God. And the person that's just standing there, I mean, is God even here today? I mean, I just want to make sure he checked in. Guess what? Who's right and who's wrong? It doesn't matter because he's all here. He's omnipresent. He's here at all times. Now, here's what's the difference. You ready for this? Here's what's the difference. There's a difference between experiencing the omnipresence of God than experiencing the manifest presence of God. Look, when we come into a setting like this, to me it's easier to experience the manifest presence because then we can start feeding off of the unity that's in this place. So, I don't know about you, but if I don't feel like it, I'm going to go for it anyway because I need the manifest presence of God. 
I have the omnipresence with me all the time, but I need the manifest presence of God. I need it where God just comes down on me. Be strong and courageous. But how do we experience the manifest presence of God? It's when we take our position and we stand still. Be strong and courageous. Take your position. Stand still. Let's stand all over this place today.